0: And one of my instructors was a 20-year development group guy, SEAL Team 6 guy. Uh, very, very, you know, went through the entire like early 2000s onward, Iraq and Afghanistan, seen a lot of stuff. Um, and we got to the range one day and I see him pick up a pistol, not a rifle, like, you know, pistol is the secondary weapon. He picks up a pistol, has a full magazine, goes out to the range. Points his gun down range, fires one shot, does his scans, which is like a very elementary thing to do, checking his right and his left to, to make sure that everything's safe on the range, and then holsters his weapon. This is the same first thing that you do when you learn how to shoot in buds. Like they give you one round in a magazine, put it in the gun, shoot, do your scans, check your right and left, and holster your weapon. He was saying that he does that every single time he goes out to the range. I mean, this guy's probably shot like a million rounds in his life or or over. Um, He does that every single time he gets on the range just to get back to the basics and then builds off of that. And I just found that uh, fascinating. You know, like that's humility right there. He he doesn't care like how many rounds he's shot, uh, how much combat he's been in. Every time he goes out to the range, he does the most elementary thing that he possibly can do just to, like, put himself in check and get back to the basics.
1: I'm Sean Delaney, and you're listening to What Got You There. What Got You There is a must-follow for entrepreneurs, creatives, high achievers, and changemakers. Each week, I sit down with some of the world's most influential people and focus on the journey behind their success. We uncover the strategy, tactics, and routines that help them get there. Now it's your journey, so it's time to learn what's going to get you there. Uh, what got you there? What got you? What got, got you there? Today's the episode Lake. is with one of my longtime and good friends, Mike Burns. Now, Mike was a former professional lacrosse player. He was a Navy SEAL, and he's a current venture capitalist. So he was the senior director for SEAL qualification training at the Naval Special Warfare. <laughs> Uh, Command in Coronado, California, and there he led a 40-person team executing the operations and administration throughout their 62 weeks of high-risk training for 500 SEAL candidates across the western United States. Now, Mike has held other notable positions, which include team leader for multiple SEAL teams, joint forces, and multinational teams, while executing over 100 combat operations in conflict zones around the world. Mike is the recipient of numerous military awards, most notably the Bronze Star Medal with Valor and Navy and Marine Corps Commendation Medal with Valor for leadership and heroism during combat operations. This is an episode I've been so excited to record and release because I've known Mike Burns since I was 10 years old. Now, we started out as competitors on the lacrosse field. My first lacrosse game ever was actually against Mike and his team, and we went on to become good friends and college roommates. Now, Mike is one of those handful of people on this planet that I have a ludicrous amount of respect for, and I think there are takeaways in this conversation that are foundational, no matter what it is you're doing in life. So please enjoy this conversation with Mike Burns. Do you have a problem setting and achieving your goals? Well, after personally coaching and interviewing hundreds of high performers on this podcast, I've uncovered that there are three keys to setting and then actually achieving your goals. And as a special gift for listening to this podcast, I want to send you these three secrets absolutely free right now. All you have to do is go to youunleashedcourse.com. That's youunleashedcourse.com or click the link below and I'll email you those three secrets right now. Have you been looking for a new podcast to give you a short burst of daily motivation? If so, check out my other podcast called Momentum Minutes that already has 50 plus episodes. Now on this podcast, I share the best and most impactful lessons on leadership, personal development, and the foundational principles you need to learn to expand your potential. So check it out today by typing in Momentum Minutes to your favorite podcasting app, or you can go to whatgotyouthere.com. Hey guys, it's Sean, and for the last 15 years, I've been working at the intersection of elite performance, entrepreneurship, and personal development. Now, as a success coach, former professional athlete, entrepreneur, and podcast host, my mission has been helping people discover their untapped potential and live their best life. Now, after being an advisor to Inc.'s fastest growing companies, interviewing billionaire business titans, and personally coaching CEOs and executives, I've put together the most impactful tools and exercise into my online personal growth course called You Unleashed. Now, if you've been looking to get access to a course that's going to help you expand your potential to help you overcome your obstacles, cultivate your passion, and create your purpose, then head to What Got You There com forward slash you dash unleashed. That's what got you there.com forward slash you dash unleashed or click the link below to check out my online personal growth course called You Unleashed. Mike, welcome to what got you there. How you doing today, man?
0: Sean, my man. Happy to be here. Thanks I'm, for having me.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, we were just saying this is uh this is more than 20 years in the making essentially where I've had this incredible opportunity to know you for such a long time and watch your journey your rise, all the incredible things that I've been able to see you do uh, being a a division one athlete, being a professional athlete, becoming a Navy SEAL, a venture capitalist. And I would love to know, has there been a foundational mindset for you that has allowed you to do all of those incredible things?
0: You know, it's crazy, Sean. We've known each other since we were 10 in some form or fashion. First is like a absolute enemy on the, on the (laughs) lacrosse field. And we grew up in, in you know, somewhat similar fashions and in similar places, you know, town over from each other in kind of a blue collar area. And, you know, my upbringing growing up with my mom and whatnot and um, just seeing her work really hard to support two kids. And my whole foundation for my entire life and still to this day is like try to do the best I can so that my mom worries less about me. And just kind of along those lines, I think it's pushed me to accomplish things that I wanted to accomplish personally. But then I also know that would make my mom like proud of who I was. And it's funny, you know, you go becoming a Navy SEAL. It's not something that your mom like wants you to do for obvious reasons, but you know, something I think she's been proud of um, and watched me enjoy being. So that's pretty much what, you know, what base, what I base my life on.
1: Man, I love hearing about those those underlying motivations, those underlying drivers. It's funny you, you bring up your mom, Nancy. It makes me think about we we had a, a playoff game, or it might have been a regular season game, and uh, there was a snowstorm. It canceled uh, the flights for our parents, my my dad, your mom, and they ended up jumping in the car at midnight and driving through a snowstorm to make it to their game. So just to kind of let you know how proud your mom has been, I've gotten to see that, um, and you've made a lot of people proud over the years, but still today, it's that that underlying driver for you is the the same thing, thinking about your mom and, and making her proud. That's still what's, what's fueling you today?
0: Yeah, I would say it's kind of shifted over time, um, you know, now that we're older and, you know, I, you and I have both have kids. It's like it, it kind of switches over to them and you want to just make them proud and do everything you can to be the best dad possible and do everything you can to support them and make sure that they have um, a life that's you know, maybe able to make, make it um, maybe able to let them have enough grit or, or as much grit that you've developed over the years, but then also um, make it comfortable for them and just make their life a little bit better than you had it. Right. Like kind of something you always have to live your life by is like if somebody loans you something, you give it back and return it better than you, they lent it to you or they let you stay in their house, make their house cleaner than they left it. So
1: dive into the grit a bit more being able to watch you on the athletic field you you had this just this ability this extra level of grittiness where it was like no matter what needs to get done this guy's going to do it and I'm just wondering is that something is that one of those foundational pillars for you that grittiness that has just been required in everything you've done
0: I think, you know, as far as I can look back, I've always had somebody telling me that like I wasn't going to be the best or, or couldn't be the best. Um, you know, I wasn't the fastest or whatever it may be. And so then I've always taken everything like a challenge and just tried to, you know, be the best or be the fastest out there. Um and then it keeps going through life. You know, I had people in high school tell me I'll never, I'll never play, you know, at the division one level. And I just didn't understand what, you know, foundation or basis they were going off of. Um, I had people tell me I would never make it through seal training. And it's just like those things that kind of fuel me. And I just don't understand where people are coming from and they don't understand kind of, if you have a mindset that you won't quit, then you really won't quit. So, um, early on when I was a kid, I think I was just purely having fun and like whatever job needed to get done, you know, you know, I was a a face-off guy and the only reason I faced off is because I wanted to get the ball first. (laughs) So
1: So I'm wondering then about just following things that innately brought you joy. Has that continued today in the adult life or has that changed over?
0: No, it really has. I mean, Um, you and I both played lacrosse because we loved the game and and loved the sport. Um, And then continued on, you know, college, post-college. And I found myself in a position after college where I was working at a job that on paper people would say is like a a good job and um, found myself being a little bit unhappy, you know, sitting at a desk and seeing other people around me that were maybe double my age and do have been doing the same thing for 20 years and they were unhappy too. So I saw some writing on the wall and really took an internal look at like what fuels me and what makes me happy. And it's all just, you know, stuff that young guys like doing, running, swimming, hanging out with their friends, surfing, doing active stuff. And, um, I was fortunate enough to have, uh, my boss at the, at my first job out of school shout out to jimmy he was a a former seal and he the day he hired me he said mike um you know what do you like to do for fun and i just told him all those things and he said well what the heck are you doing interviewing for this job you can't do any of those things here and i said i said yeah you're right i came up with some good excuse as to why i needed the job and he was like listen we're gonna we're gonna hire you but we're gonna work on getting you into officer candidate school and then going into the seal teams and i said Sure, sounds good. And 11 months I spent at Morgan Stanley and off I went into the SEAL teams. Um, and it was the best decision I ever made because I get I got to do all those things that made me happy and have fun and, and develop some just amazing relationships and just learn a lot about myself. Um, and so, yeah, that like obviously continues to fuel me. And moving on past the SEAL teams, I think, you know, priorities shift in life and having kids changes a lot of things and you know it's not so much about yourself anymore it's really about them so that was kind of a driving factor um you know at at this stage in my life
1: now having some some distance from that experience where your boss jimmy still hired you and essentially knew that he was going to try to help you get into the seals have you ever asked him about that why he still hired you
0: He's just a fantastic guy. I mean, it's obviously a very odd retention tactic (laughs) uh, (laughs) where you just expect somebody to quit in, in six to 12 months. But, um, you know, I think he knows that that job, it it really can, there's always going to be people that want to fill it coming out of college and he sees something in people. He's done it, it. You know, he's did, he did it with me first and he's done it with probably four, um, kids after me um and it's just like i think out of the kindness of his own uh, you know out of the goodness of his own heart um and maybe a little bit of a a little bit of like wishing he was still back in the seal teams because he got out you know he went he went through during the 90s where there wasn't all that much happening in terms of work to be done as a seal and he got out and I, I think he maybe still wishes he was back in because he sees some of his classmates from the Naval Academy, you know, holding really high ranking positions as admirals and, um, you know, working in the government sector, having big impact. And so he doesn't want to see folks maybe go down the same path that that he did, even though he's very, really, really successful guy, has a great family, all that. But um i think you know when you go back and visit him he's a little bit jealous of the stuff that you do versus him sitting at a desk
1: yeah j- jumping out of helicopters and airplanes and blowing shit up <laughs> not, not, yeah. not not a bad yeah. way to spend your weeks it's, it's funny though just the the, the mentors those, those inflection points those people that have altered our trajectory and, and we're going to dive into that a, a bit later but you said something a few minutes ago you said the seal teams really helped you understand and learn more about yourself that cultivated that self-awareness i'm wondering for you you got pre-seal burns, post-seal burns. What, what was the big learning for you about yourself?
0: Yeah, I mean, the the biggest thing is humility. Um, c- coming out of college, you especially Chapel Hill, right? Like Chapel Hill, when we were going there, was a little bit of a bubble. Um, you felt like nothing really bad could happen to you, uh, pretty contained. We were had a lot of you know significant playing time on the field you kind of feel like you're on top of the world and then you go out into the real world and you realize that you're just you know this little ant and no one really cares about what you did (laughs) on the lacrosse field in college um but even going into the seal teams um you know i felt like i was pretty good to go physically Um, I felt like I had some good life experience, some like grit developed, um, through the the upbringing that I had, especially like playing underneath the coaches that you and I played underneath of, um, and I felt pretty good. And then you get to buds and buds is basically designed so that, you know, there'll be things that you'll succeed at. And then there's going to be something, at least one thing that you're going to absolutely suck at. And it's designed that way on purpose. So you are really tested when you aren't doing well at something to see how you react. And the other thing is that nobody can get through buds on their own. So you can be just the most gifted guy all around. But if you don't work well as a team, uh, there's really no way you're going to make it through. And, you know, I saw that 10 times over. I saw guys that were, You know, on the football and lacrosse team at Ohio State, I saw a guy that was a national champion um, swimmer, D1 swimmer, uh, D1 long distance runner, all things that, you know, you think about buds, that would obviously help you out a lot because you run and swim a ton and these guys all quit and i think it was because they thought of themselves as this you know god-given talent um above everybody else but couldn't work together as a team and couldn't really just embrace the fact that like okay i'm great at swimming but i'm not great at running like i've always been the best and i can't cope with the fact that at this i'm not so i'm just gonna throw in the towel
1: so what is inside of you and what have you seen of those that have made it through that inflection point where you realize that failure is inevitable here and they're able to continue on through that as opposed to letting that just completely derail them and end up ringing the bell.
0: You know, they really instill it in you from day one that you need um, to have a heightened sense of humility uh, and become just this like humble humble warrior and work together as a team. And I'll never forget the first time that I realized that I really, really sucked at something. It was a, a soft sand ruck run. And you know me, like I'm no uh, stranger to running. I'm not like a a slow guy, but in soft sand, man, I'm one of the (laughs) the slowest. I don't know what it is about that, but pants and boots and soft sand and Mike Burns do not mix, Um, especially with a 40 pound rucksack on your back. So I'm like in the back of the pack, just getting in the goon squad, if you will, just getting tortured because I'm not in, in the front. And it was one of the worst experiences I had in BUDS. I had just like incredible chafing all from my rucksack along my back. And um, really, really bad day. So the next time we go out and do one of these things, I, I go to my buddy Mike and I said, Mike, listen, like you're one of the best at this. Um, I know you're not going to, you know, fail this ruck run. I need you to help me. Like you, you can't be a stranger just to reach out and ask for help. I've been doing that my whole life, actually, even before, um, you know, before the SEAL teams given kind of growing up with only my mom, I needed like always to reach out to, to male role models, your dad being one of them and just like ask for help. Um, so that's not something that's new to me, but, you know, back to the, the rucksack story. So I asked my buddy, Mike, I was like, Hey man, I need you to push me like literally hand on back, push me in this ruck run. Cause I'm not going through that experience again and just being in the goon squad. So, uh, you know, another shout out to my buddy, Mike, he stayed with me the whole run. We, you know, we were in the front of the pack. It was a absolute put out session for me, but, um, yeah, that was kind of the, the first time that I realized you can't you can't be too scared and and too prideful to to reach out and ask a buddy for a, help, a helping hand and just admit that, like, you know, you're not the best at everything.
1: One of the things I've admired you for over the years is something that came through in that story right there. Obviously, you have the experience in the sand where you're like, wow, I suck at this. But one of the things that you've done well over the years is your ability to really have quality reflection like inner reflection right even to be like you know what mike you sucked at this like you got to get better and i'm wondering how you cultivated that over time that ability to kind of step back really analyze your performance and what needs to get done in order for you to excel to where you want to get to
0: yeah it's it's a good it's a great question i mean i think I think another example is like my freshman year at carolina right like remember i broke my ankle um during fall ball really really tough injury just something that was non-standard was on crutches for about three months you and i were roommates i had to move out because we were on the second floor um no elevator in that building and i went through like a almost like a bout of depression looking back i think it was like a bout of depression because i saw all you guys you know crushing it on the field running around you know being part of the team and i almost felt like i wasn't part of the team just because i was sidelined from the injury so rather you know i spent a good amount of time like being down on myself but then there was a you know inflection point and i don't really know what was the catalyst for this but I just changed and was just like okay well what can I what can I do right now that's going to change the trajectory and, and you know change my mindset and it was really just like embracing the injury and figuring out like okay what am I going to do to make myself better and that was just getting in the training room uh getting in the weight room and doing the things that I can do and then just like helping out the team and becoming a better teammate because I think early on that year, I was just like really focused on myself selfishly and just like getting on the field as a freshman. Um, And then that changed over time. And I started just focusing on the team and focusing on, you know, how I can make you guys better around me and just being a a contributing member. Um, And then obviously getting back to, to, to being the better player the next year.
1: It's funny because I've always thought of you as someone, one of those jack of all trades. It's like, what do we need done? Boom. I, I guarantee you Burns, it will be able to fill that role and fill that really, really well. Um, it's just something that I, I've admired the hell out of um, because it's so hard to do. And the importance of that, especially on that team, is crucial. It makes me think of, uh, there's this really interesting study uh, around the, the NBA players who made their team the best. And it ended up being the best player in the entire league was Shane Battier unfortunately a former duke guy but like yeah, ne- yeah. never highest score never highest rebounder never highest in assists but he did all of these intangible things and while you had really high stats in different categories i felt like you were one of those drivers one of those intangibles that you you can't measure on the statistic sheet but holy shit like they really bring it so that's just something that that i've gotten to see and so i just want the, the listeners to be aware of that because if you're thinking about developing your own inner character but then also the team there's no better way to do it than, than what you exemplified on the field there. But I, I actually want to get back to, to in your internal work. So the summer before you, uh, you went to SEAL training, you, you went to live at your grandma's garage down in LBI, yeah. Long Beach Island. And so just, just in the garage, basically just training all summer. I want to know, what was your internal dialogue like? Like, what was the this, this story going on in your head while you're just literally just working out all day?
0: You know, it's, it's funny. i never made this, I've never made this, uh, comparison before or like connected these dots, but it was almost like when breaking my ankle, I was, I was at this job after school that I had just been like a sheep in the herd following the pack, you know, all of our buddies from Carolina, like it was a thing to go up into the banking finance sector. And I was just so unhappy. I remember this one time I was, uh, you know, this is me being a little vulnerable here, but I was, I was at, in LBI um, while I was working that job and I was just in the water and I was just like, started crying. And I was just like, why am I so unhappy? I don't want to do this job. I'm just basically like following the pack. And so then from like that moment on, I just decided to make a change and like really go for it uh, and dedicate everything. So once I found out that, you know, I obviously put in a lot of work to make make the ocs package as as strong as i possibly could i spent a lot of time after work uh going to the pool and and running and stuff like that but once i found out i got accepted to go and try out you know there's there's tears to this but you essentially get selected to go try out in coronado at the seal buds training compound in front of a panel of people and go interview so then I basically just like burnt the ships. I'm sure you've heard that term before. So I quit my job um and burnt the ships there. It was just like I have to go do this otherwise like I'm just out of luck pretty much. Um so asked my grandma if I could go live down there at her house. Went to the garage, built a pull-up bar uh in the rafters of her garage and then just did push-ups, pull-ups, sit-ups, run and and ran and swam, um, that whole summer and basically gave up everything else. I, I stopped, uh, you know, hanging out with my friends and drinking and all that stuff for that entire summer and really just like bought all into the fact that I was going to go do this. And, um, you know, you get to a a certain time where it's like you've already put in that work. Uh, so you might as well just go all the way. It's like when you're waiting in a line and you're like, you've waited 30 minutes, you're just like, I might as well just wait this out forever. Um, And so that was kind of just, you know, my internal motivation and what I said to myself um, when I was going out to do this. It was like it really just started as being unhappy and then figuring out like, okay, I need to make a change here.
1: Hey guys, it's Sean, and we are about to dive right back into this episode, but before we do, I wanted to take less than a minute to tell you about my online personal development course called You Unleashed. Now, over the years, I've personally coached CEOs, executives, and professional athletes, and I've interviewed over 300 of the world's most successful people on this podcast. And my course, You Unleashed, compiles the most important routines, mindsets, and skills that you need to skyrocket the success in your own life. Now, you will learn these things over 19 video lectures that I'm going to teach you in this course, and you can find out more about the course by heading to whatgotyouthere.com forward slash you dash unleashed, or you can click the link below. Now, that's whatgotyouthere.com forward slash you dash unleashed. That's incredible. Uh, Thanks for opening up that story around the vulnerability. there, there's no courage without vulnerability you opened up you kind of tapped into to some of the drivers those, those holes that needed to be filled and you actually had the courage to move forward with it and then I, I just love that like the failure's not an option here like we're freaking doing this I would love to know though was there something knowing what you know now just about buds that you would have done you would have built into your training uh at your mom's garage or was there really nothing extra you could have added
0: I get that question so much, like guys that that reach out to me that are going down this journey as well. They always say, like, what more can I do? And, you know, you can do all the stuff in the world. There is a there is a a way that you can overtrain for this stuff. But, you know, all all sorts of guys make it through buds. It's really just like a mental thing and how you react to some physical some physical stressors. Um, And then that obviously translates into mental stressors as well. But, you know, I had guys that I went through that were 160 pounds soaking wet and I had guys that were 220 pounds, um, all different strength levels and, you know, able to do a lot of incredible things. Um, I would say just like basically what I would do differently is I would just do a lot more lunges and and soft sand running because obviously I told you before I suck at soft sand running and you do a whole lot of lunges and um, When you go through buds with telephone, holding telephone poles. I remember uh,
1: when Kelsey and I were still living in San Diego, we had you you over for dinner one night and we were just kind of talking about like some of the the shitty things you you had to do. And I remember you telling us about holding a telephone pole um, for lunges. And so you had the telephone pole, you were holding it in front of you. And you said, I lost count at 650. You said, we must have been doing lunges for an hour straight. I, I was dying when I heard that story
0: yeah i mean there's some there's some bad times with that telephone pole but you know you you also uh, develop some love for it as well
1: i'm wondering then what what did you hear prior to the seals but until you got there you couldn't fully appreciate or understand it so so the way i think about this is in sports right like everyone said from high school to college the speed of the game was going to change fundamentally and then from college to pros and you can hear that again and again but until you're in that environment you just can't appreciate the change in speed there i'm wondering what was there anything like that in the seals
0: i would say not in terms of like the speed of of anything or um intensity but i would say just you know everyone always talked about the brotherhood and i never appreciated it until you're you're deep deep in the brotherhood just how strong that is i mean you spend more time with these guys than your own wife um you know if you're married or your girlfriend whatever you know, you're gone with these guys sometimes 300 days out of the year and sleeping. A lot of times you're sleeping in the same room as them and then you're on deployment six months together. You see each other every single day from the time you wake up till the time you go to sleep. Um, You get to know these guys really, really, really well um, to the point of like you love them like brothers. And so, you know, people can talk about it and you can you can read books on it and stuff. But until you really develop these relationships with folks, there's no way you can really comprehend just how powerful that is. And then that translates into just all the great things that the SEAL teams are known for, uh, you know, teamwork and and willingness to just like, reach out and help a buddy in need and service really. How do you think about
1: cultivating that strength of bond, those brotherhoods in a company today where they're not going to be spending that same amount of time? They're not going to have the risk factor that you experienced at SEALs. How do you cultivate that in a company or an athletic team?
0: Yeah, I'm glad you asked that question. It's it's something I've put a lot of thought into, actually. Um for leaders of companies, I think it's so important to really just have empathy for people and spend the extra, you know, time to get to know the folks that work either for you or with you. Because developing personal relationships relationships with people, um you get so much more out of you get so much more out of your people. And just those really close relationships help you develop stronger working relationship. Um and work better, better together as a team. You know, if you and I are really good friends, like I'm going to work harder for you or, and I'm, and you know, you're going to work harder for me. Uh, It goes back and forth. Whereas like, if you don't have a close relationship, like why would I care so much about helping you reaching out and helping you or or vice versa?
1: How do you handle those situations where getting over that, that mental barrier around how you view that person, right? Like you, you just fundamentally despise this person or maybe that's a, a bit of a harsh word there, but I'm wondering inside of a company, right? Like people are not necessarily always going to see eye to eye. So how do you get past that? If you really don't have this deep fondness for someone,
0: I think it goes back to the humility thing, like put your ego in check and put it aside and reach out to that person and have a non-work conversation with them, like figure out what makes them tick and what they enjoy doing and try to find some common area. I mean, I think you'll always find some sort of common area with somebody. There's so many different things that you can talk about and there's something that you can connect on um, and figure out like what's important to them. And then that can be the thing that you guys bond over. And I've always found that, you know, on the surface, you might not like somebody, but the, the old saying never judge a book by its cover, there's real, there's very few people on this earth that like, I don't like, um, maybe initially I didn't like them, but after you get to know them and start talking to them and find something that you bond over, you know, I generally like it, like everybody.
1: You're hitting on what I view as like three foundational principles. One, that humility, right? Like putting your ego aside and saying, you know what, What what is our common interest here? Which is not one of those principles. What are we, what are we working towards as a unit here? And where do we need to put our ego aside to really dive into this? For the betterment of this group or or what we're working towards and that final part is it's come to me through curiosity right like if if you can't find something that deeply fascinating within another human being then there's something wrong with you that you can't explore that enough so i i just love you you highlighting those one thing i would love to dive back into though um is around you and during seal training one of the things that that seems to happen is you guys kind of get unlocked mentally just your ability to to adapt, to pick up new skills, to learn—is that something you experienced? That you felt like almost floodgates opened in your ability to pick up new information?
0: Man, another good question, Sean. Um, I think I think so. It's almost like a survivability thing, though, because you have the learning curve is so steep, and you have to pick up things in such a short amount of time. Um, but it also it also reinforces like the work ethic that I think the SEAL teams are known for. Whereas like, you can't just be a guy. Some people are like this where they're just like really good naturally at picking up information and and executing on it. And then there's other people that aren't and either way, like there's going to be different things that people are great at and not, but you have to put in the reps to get good at these things. And that's what the, that's what SEAL training really instills in you is like, we always call it, um, dirt diving, like just getting out on the, on the concrete and like walking through things with like sticks in your hand. Or if you're planning a dive, you're literally walking around with your dive buddy with their hand on your shoulder and, and going through the reps of doing this. And you do it over and over and over again to the point where, you know, it becomes second nature and it's, it's not really hard for you anymore, but, um, sometimes you only have 24 hours to do that sometimes you have 12 hours to do that. So you just kind of have to figure out a way to get it done. And then back to the survivability thing, it's like, okay, if I don't get this done, like I'm out. So uh, you gotta dig deep and just figure out a way to get it done.
1: When you're speaking of reps, we're we're not talking about just some reps. Like I I, I always see this with with kids who, who wanna play like a high level sport and they're like, I'm working really, really hard and I'm getting a lot of reps. And I'm like, I don't think you understand the number of reps. So so I'm saying that first because I, I heard a story. I have no idea if this is true. So roughly there's what, like 650 Navy SEALs active at any given point, right?
0: I don't know the number. I heard one time that there was probably 2,000 active duty and reservists. Okay. Uh, but, but So but, you might be right on the 650. But under
1: 10,000 easily. And so there's actively between like 180,000 and 200,000, I think, Marines. So I, I heard that... Let's call it those 2,000 Navy SEALs each year fire the same number of bullets as those 180,000 Marines. Now, oh. I have, th- this is, this is what, what I heard from a former SEAL. Now, I, I have no idea this is true, but I think it's speaking to how deeply engaged you guys are in actual repetition. And one thing I'm wondering about those reps too, is it not only repetition, but repetition, practice in extreme environments where adaptability is crucial?
0: Yeah, I mean, I have a great story. I saw this, one of my third phase instructors, third phase is when you go out to San Clemente Island and you go through like basically the whole demolition shooting phase of of BUDS. And one of my instructors was a 20-year development group guy, SEAL Team 6 guy, uh, very, very, you know, went through the entire like early 2000s onward, Iraq and Afghanistan, seen a lot of stuff. Um, And we got to the range one day And I see him pick up a pistol, not a rifle. Like, you know, pistol is the secondary weapon. He picks up a pistol, has a full magazine, goes out to the range, points his gun down range, fires one shot, does his scans, which is like a very elementary thing to do, checking his right and his left to to make sure that everything's safe on the range, and then holsters his weapon. This is the same first thing that you do when you learn how to shoot in buds. Like they give you one round in a magazine, put it in the gun, shoot, do your scans, check your right and left, and holster your weapon. He was saying that he does that every single time he goes out to the range. I mean, this guy's probably shot like a million rounds in his life or or over. Um, He does that every single time he gets on the range just to get back to the basics and then builds off of that. And I just found that uh, fascinating. You know, like that's humility right there. He he doesn't care like how many rounds he's shot, uh, how much combat he's been in. Every time he goes out to the range, he does the most elementary thing that he possibly can do just to, like, put himself in check and get back to the basics. Um, That makes
1: me think of uh, just other domains, right? Like, how is this applicable? It makes me think of the basketball player, Steph Curry. Um, So whether you're a fan of Steph, it it doesn't matter. What he does every single time he first goes out the basketball court is he literally stands underneath the rim and works on his layups. It's like, here's one of the greatest shooters in the history of this sport. And what does he do every time he steps on the court? <laughs> he's, he's back to that one shot into the holster scanning. It's just like, I love that seeing that come out because that's what the best do. They are relentless on the fundamentals. And I think, I, I've just seen this a lot in sport, is people see like the crazy, like behind the back shot or something like that. It's like, in order for the true masters of their craft to get to that level, the the million reps of the fundamentals underneath it is what allowed them to do that. It wasn't the reverse order. It wasn't just like, those crazy shots first it was the fundamentals first which lead to the crazy shots
0: yeah and when you master the fundamentals then you get you know back to your question like you get under the high stress environments to the point where this stuff is just such second nature that you're calm under those stressful environments and you do the basics right uh you know if you have to pull something out of the hat like it's that much easier because you have all the basics down
1: Speaking of remaining calm under pressure, I reached out to someone, uh, a very close friend of mine, who, who was familiar with you growing up. And uh, so I, I said, do you have any questions for burns? And they, they said, I've got one question. And so this was passed on through another SEAL down the pipeline to me uh, when, when you're going through SEAL training. And essentially, you, you, they had a very tough time drowning you right? Like you want to get drowned. So he literally says, I have one question. He goes, how the fuck couldn't they drown you? That is literally what they want to know. And so you were just talking about handling stress in extreme environments. So essentially what I'm alluding to here is is when they're teaching you dive, they basically disorient you underwater, right? Like they're, they're ripping your mask off. They're flipping you around and you seems to have an extreme ability to remain calm under the most stressful situations. Now I'm wondering what you're tapping into mentally during those times to be able to handle those situations.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's no secret. They teach you all this stuff about how to, you know, remain calm underwater and what stress, uh, while holding your breath does to your oxygen levels in your body. Um, so, you know, you can learn that stuff and then you can practice and and take the reps at getting good at it. I think I had a different experience, like grew up surfing my whole life and took a lot of beatings, um, you know, down in Long Beach Island and, and elsewhere where bef- before I got like to a competent level of surfing, like I took a lot of hits under the water and so just kind of earned my stripes there. But, you know, throughout buds, like my time in the water was always the, my sanctuary and my time to just really like relax and and, and not stress about the, uh, you know, the stressors of buds. So, um, I think that every time we did a pool evolution it was just like okay yep i'm in my comfort zone uh i can relax and like this w- whether they're thrashing me underwater or whatever like this will come to an end um and other people just like can't really wrap their mind around that you know you ever seen like a, vid- a movie or something and someone's drowning and they're like freaking out in the water mm-hmm. like they they're, they're expending a lot of energy there. And that just decreases uh, oxygen levels in your body, makes your body tired. And it's also just not efficient, you know? Like in actuality, they could just take a full deep breath and float in the water because the oxygen in your lungs like makes you buoyant and and you could float. Now everyone has different levels of buoyancy, but uh, for me, it happens I'm a pretty buoyant guy. And yeah, it's just just really comfortable.
1: So you mentioned that that's your comfort zone. I'm assuming um, like you mentioned that the sand previously you, you just don't do well in. So what were the things that mentally were challenging for you? And how did you handle those internal mental challenges?
0: My, yeah, that's, so in the, whenever we had to do like sand runs, um, I guess I guess sand runs were always hard with, a like I said, with a rucksack, they were a little bit harder. But it was really just like everything in buds. I looked back and just thought about my family and friends, like people like you, where I told you I was going to do this, and I could never look you in the eye again, and I could never look my boss in the in the eye in the eye again, who you know basically put his neck on the line to to get me into this position um, if I quit. So. I would always just think back to, you know, my family, friends, and then I would look out at the, uh, San Diego horizon and always see, you know, a big Navy boat and just think like, man, I don't want to be on that. So I better keep going,
1: man, back to Nietzsche, if you know your, why you can endure anyhow, it seems like you're really tapping into the, those fundamental motivators and drivers, um, even, even in those smaller situations, um, and, and part of what you talked about earlier is just the, the importance of learning from those failures that you had. And I'm wondering for you, was there another moment that was just brutal for your ego, which is like really foundational for like your wisdom or how you approach life moving forward? Were there any other experiences in the SEALs that taught you a tremendous amount because of something that you made an error on?
0: Going through buds or afterward?
1: it, it could It could be at any point.
0: Yeah, I think I think um, you know even before buds. Like going back to my upbringing, uh, because my mom was always out working and and providing for our family. Like I was left to find out a lot of things on my own and learn a lot of hard lessons. And you know, I definitely wasn't a golden child. Didn't do everything right, and did learn a lot of hard lessons. Um, So that kind of put my ego in check uh, early on, and. I found a way, you know, through making mistakes to just really be able to realize, like, hey, this is bad right now, but eventually I'll get over it, and I just have to learn from it and, and move on. Um, and that was kind of the same thing in in buds, right? Like the, the soft sand thing. I was like, man, that was really bad. But like, what am I going to do now? And it's the same thing with my, with my job that I hated, like, this is bad, but what am I going to do now? And it just, you know, the decision point comes at different times. Um, but eventually you just realize, like, I think I've gotten faster at realizing when things just aren't going my way and then making a decision and like orienting and making a decision to, to fix it. Um, you know another like another really hard time was my first operation i ever went on like first real combat operation i ever went on we lost one of our guys and it was the worst day of my life um and i remember like going to sleep that not na- that night and being like man i said this out loud to myself i was like man that was a bad day but like i'm going to wake up tomorrow and i'm going to you know get my team focused uh on moving forward and you know go from there because what else can you really do
1: what did the next morning look like what do you what are you actively doing in that position to move
0: everyone forward it's a lot of uh acknowledgement of of what just happened and then talking about like going out and getting uh another win and and doing something right um you know, like McRaven, I'm sure you've read that like 10 things from SEAL training. Like first thing that you start your day with is a, is a completed task. So after, you know, and especially like even a lacrosse analogy, like you lose a game, the next thing you want to do is go out and get a win. Right. So you got to first acknowledge what happened and not just completely like brush off, you know, something, something really, really bad. Check in with your guys, make sure everything um, is kosher with them and, and really get a, a pulse on kind of what their feelings are and then aggregate all that data into uh you know a way forward and a a, a timeline as to when you're going to try to to go out and get that next Yeah,
1: you know, what i'm getting from you here is there's not this standstill point where i see so many people get stuck they're stuck in the sand literally and mentally and then they they result they, they revolve backwards where you seem continual progress moving forward um facing the the brutal facts, the underlying realities, you develop that action plan, you get little wins and you're hopeful, it sounds like, about the future. Is is that something you've kind of always had that optimistic view towards a better future?
0: Yeah, I think uh, I'm sure you know this guy, my high school lacrosse and football coach. um, He's an absolute legend. He always had this saying, you you're either you're either getting stronger or you're getting weaker. You're never staying the same. And you can apply that to so many things in life. Like if you just are staying at a standstill and not doing anything, not taking any action to to get better, um then you're actually getting worse. And so however little that step is that you need to take to just get the ball rolling forward, like you got to take that step and I think that's the leader's job is to um Sometimes put your feelings aside and put others' feelings first and just figure out like, okay, how can I get my team um, moving hmm. versus being stagnant? How would you develop,
1: let's just call it like c- courage and confidence in your own leadership style and your ability to make decisions as the leader?
0: You know, this thing evolved over time. I never even put two thoughts into um, my leadership style, meaning it was just natural for you. No, I just think that, I just think that it's, it's always a position that I've wanted to take, you know, like in high school, across team college, you and I were both captains at Carolina. And a lot of times, like early on, it's, it's somewhat of like a popularity contest, like the best player becomes the captain or something. And we never had any real leadership training. It was just, I think for both of us, it was kind of know positions we assumed just because that was what we have always done. Um but it wasn't until the SEAL teams that I put you know any thought into what kind of leader I really was. And they give you all this leadership training and um some of it's good, some of it's bad in my opinion. And then you have a lot of these people that come from service academies where they've had it for the past four years in college. And people would always tell me like, oh yeah, you can't get too close to the enlisted guys. And like, you gotta watch how much you hang out with them and stuff like that. And I thought that was the worst advice like I've ever got because if the the, the SEAL teams is all about trust. If you're going through a kill house and some guy doesn't trust you, then you, the, the whole thing's broken. Um, and the only way to build trust is really spending time and getting to know these folks. So I wanted to hang out with all my guys in my platoon as much as I possibly could um, to really, really get to know them. And that was the kind of leader I was. Like I was just a member of the team. And it just so happened that I, you know, was in fact the leader, but I looked at it as like I just had a different job than them. You know, I was the officer in charge and and dealt with kind of up and out type stuff, whereas I had other guys in my team that were snipers because they wanted to be a sniper. They didn't want to be an officer. I had guys that were, you know, breachers because they wanted to blow down doors. They didn't want to, you know, make powerpoints and and talk to uh, you know, commanding officers and stuff like that. Like they just didn't want to do that. So that was my function. And um I didn't look at anybody else in my platoon as having like a lesser role than me. They just had different jobs than me. And I think that you can take that into the the private sector too. Like even after the SEAL team's like, yeah, you're the CEO of a company. You have a different role, but like some engineer um, or developer, like he just wants to do that. He doesn't want to be the CEO. That's why he's doing this job. Um, if he wanted to be the CEO, like I'm sure he could go do that somewhere else.
1: What, what are some of the other tenants of leadership that you actually thought were very applicable both to your time in SEALs, athletics, um, and then what you're doing now?
0: You know, I think I've already hit a bunch of them, but I th- I always come back to the empathy thing, and I always come back to um getting to getting to really know your folks. like you just have to develop that relationship because that builds trust and that makes people, you know, want to perform for you and you want to perform for them. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why, like, you know, I think this remote work thing is going to become interesting because it's really hard to develop trust in relationships over Zoom. But, you know, that stuff aside, um, I think it's really just all about developing those personal relationships.
1: You have any stories of one of the things that I think the SEALs do an incredible job of is developing people who are fully responsible. They take responsibility for things. And I'm wondering if there's any stories you have from your evolution of a time where you realized that you weren't taking responsibility, um, but you needed to.
0: Yeah, I have a great one. Um, one of my one of my biggest role models in life, um, and also one of my peers, you know, I think that's like, Another humility thing is like this, this guy, he was my first platoon chief. Um, I think he's an absolute legend and he just like does everything the right way. And being a a young seal kind of who was a sponge. I watched this guy just do want to do everything the right way and made uh, made it cool. Like he made doing all the right things, whether it might not like look the coolest or be the coolest, like he made just doing everything the right way. Really cool, and I wanted to be like that as well. That's infectious um, for sure. Yeah, it was you know the best thing I could have seen being a, a, in my first platoon and, and a young SEAL. But, um, we were on deployment, and we it was my first kind of like real combat deployment. Um, and we had these you know geolocator tracking devices that the higher headquarters could see kind of where our vehicles were at different times and i get a call on the on the satellite phone from the tactical operations center the talk and they were like hey your your device isn't on and i realized that like we had forgotten it at home and the way that you know before you got an op like everybody has different jobs and so our communications guy usually put these in our vehicles um And I guess he just like forgot to do it. And honestly, I forgot to check because it's, you know, I'm the ground force commander. It's my job to make sure everything's good to go. And I radioed back and I said, oh, yeah, or I was on the satellite phone and I said, oh, yeah, our, our comms guy forgot to put it in there. And after I hung up the phone, my platoon chief came over to me and he said, did you just say the comms guy forgot to put that in there? And I said, yeah. And he said, that's your fault that they're not in there. It's not It's not his job to ensure that they're in there. You're in charge of this whole operation. So it's actually your fault. And you know, it's a lot about like what Jocko talks about with extreme ownership, like regardless of what happens at your company, on your team, whatever, if you're the boss and you've accepted that role as being the boss, then like everything falls on your shoulders. And it was at that moment where I realized like you can no longer ever blame anybody else for something that goes wrong like you have to take responsibility and from that moment on like i almost found pride in just taking the fall for things mm-hmm. and really just dealing with the consequences
1: yeah you, you mentioned just taking full responsibility there the other thing you mentioned that you learned um is just doing the right things and making that look cool that's what that's what you picked up on from uh, i'm pretty sure you said it was your commander I'm wondering what are some of those other things that the uncommon amongst even uncommon people, what are they doing? Little things like that. Um, any, anything else come to mind for you?
0: You know, I, I'm not sure like in, in, uh, I had something come up the other day. Um, you know, uh, somebody I work with wanted to have a hard conversation with somebody else and wasn't sure if it was kind of the right thing to do. But in his gut, he felt like it was the right thing to do. And there's a a Mark Twain quote that's like, um, it's never wrong to do the right thing. And if you genuinely feel that that's the right thing or it could be like ob- um, objectively like the right thing to do, like just go do that, um, you know, in the SEAL teams, like some other examples, uh, it's it's different. There's different cultures and different platoons, but like some platoons, the people think it's really cool to have like really weathered gear and weathered stuff like, like that. But there's a saying that, you know, loose strings uh, get caught on things. And my platoon chief, the guy I was talking about, like was meticulous about having everything look super clean. um, Not having, you know, any uh, making sure his kit had like just structural integrity at all times. So that way, Mm -hmm. like, you know he's out on an op and it doesn't fail there's another saying it's like um, you take care of your gear your gear takes care of you and people lose sight of that sometimes but he was just meticulous about making sure his uniform always looked squared away his kit was always squared away and just really like controlling the controllables because you know if somebody sees you as looking put together and and taking care of the little things and doing the right things that are super, super controllable, it just puts you ahead of other people that might, you know, in fact, be smarter than you or whatever. Um, so, yeah, I don't know if that answers your question, but, you know, just some examples of things I've seen.
1: No, believe me, all, all of this is extremely helpful. Um, so, so there, there's no right answers here. This is just really interesting and fascinating for me. What, what I am intrigued by, though, is... When I've seen people reach a certain level of mastery, they're picking up on subtle cues the novice isn't even aware of. And so I'm thinking specifically around developing people, which is something that you are incredibly good at. What are the subtle cues or things that aren't perceptible to the novice that you might be looking for when thinking about helping someone develop or learn a new craft?
0: I think it goes back to just getting the reps like the, the more reps you get at anything, the the more comfortable you're going to be. And that's can be said for really any job. Uh, the more time you spend in something, the more experience you have, the more times you've seen wazoo type stuff. Um, and the, you know, easier you can pick up on it. Um, in the seal teams, a great example is when you're going through the kill house and you're doing like probably the most high stress training that you do is like shooting live rounds, inches away from your teammates um, inside of, you know, a makeshift house or something like that. And there's a lot of consequences on the line, right? Like you could shoot somebody and they could die. That is the, that is the consequence. Um, but when you're first starting out, I mean, you're incredibly nervous, right? Like the, you don't want to shoot anybody and you don't want to mess up and get dropped and kicked out or whatever. But then as time goes on and you get a lot more reps and, you know, a lot more experience, you start being able to do things subconsciously, and then picking up on other stuff. So it's like you take some stuff off your plate, some stress off your plate, so that way it frees up your, you know, your vision, your your other senses to pick up on other stuff. Um, and you're just like constantly, o- always getting better. And I don't think that there's any real secret to that other than just like getting the reps. Um, another funny story the first time I was ever shot at, like I immediately hit the deck and cause I heard the snap go over my head and I immediately hit the deck and my platoon chief was standing right next to me, st- standing up and I was on the ground and he was like, what are you doing? And I was like, they're shooting at us, man. And he was like, that was probably 20 yards away. I mean, you're fine. And you know, I felt like an idiot at the time. And then over the course of that deployment, that my, my, I guess, instinct in like hitting the deck or like figuring out when to take cover and when not, um, definitely the time, the timing on that cut down. So like, as, as the uh, deployment went on, like you could pick up as like when, how close that bullet was and like when it was important to kind of react in different, in different ways. And it's just like, it's weird reps to think about getting shot at, but you know. A good, illustration, a good illustration of, uh, you know, how that stress depreciates.
1: 100%. But what are you doing to down-regulate your emotions in those heightened stressful scenarios before you've gotten in the reps? Are there any strategies that, that you learned that you implement?
0: When So before I'm starting to do something, um, strategies, I would really just say, like, for everybody, it's different. Um, and even before you would go through like in buds and do these tests of, you know, gateways where you had to pass to make it to the next thing. It's really just going back to what I was saying before about dirt diving, like doing everything you possibly can just to, just to mitigate any surprises that might come about, you know, Getting all the pass down, all the information um, from guys that have done it before you, whether that's good or bad and whether that's, you know, true or false, at least it's in your mind and it's not going to potentially be a surprise if it does come up. Um, With that being said, like there always will be surprises, right? Like when you plan a mission in the SEAL teams, you probably spend... 10% Ten percent of the time actually planning the mission, and then ninety percent of the time thinking about contingencies of what can happen. Can, can you, and you walk me never through gonna,
1: that? Like literally, like pretend like you're prepping for this. I, I just want to hear what you guys are actually doing behind the scenes because this is really applicable uh, to people in the civilian world.
0: Yeah. So you basically, you know, if you have a target that you want to go after, um, whatever it may be, whatever the mission set is you get all the intel and then planning the operation is easy, right? You have like uh, a time when you're going to go do it. You figure out the right people for the job. You have the layout of what you're going to go be attacking. And you can really just apply like the maneuver warfare basics to to go get that done and figure out what equipment you're going to need and all that stuff. The rest of the time and 90, it's like 90% of the planning is coming up with contingencies of all phases of the operation. So like, okay, what happens if the helicopters are on the deck at the base that you're at and one of them breaks down as they're in pre-flight checks, then what? And then you go to the next step and it's just like, okay, well, what happens if one of the helicopters mid-flight in route to the op? breaks down and has to turn back, then what? And you literally just like go through this exercise of thinking about every, every bad scenario that could come about and how you're gonna and how you're gonna handle that. Because that's what the that's what all the um you know higher ups are going to be asking about when you go and brief them this this plan. So like I said, you're never gonna come up with everyone and ultimately like something that you'd haven't thought of always comes up and you just have to flex on the spot. And I think that's what seals like become really good at is just figuring stuff out on the spot and, you know, running through that OODA loop model of like observe, orient, decide and act and just continuously doing that. Um, But yeah, that's like a, a great example of what you're doing for planning an op.
1: Bring up the OODA loop from uh, from the legendary fighter pilot Boyd uh, I'll, I'll link up for anyone who's interested in the OODA loop uh, in the show notes here an incredible article that dives deep um, in that entire process there um, that it's really intriguing just hearing the depth that you guys go to pre mission, what about post mission, how, how are you thinking about what you guys just did to put yourself in a better position moving
0: forward. Yeah, real quick, I'll go back to the, the pre-mission. Like now that I now that I'm out of the teams and I work in um, you know, in venture capital, it it's so applicable to early stage startups and anybody that's like trying to become an entrepreneur. Nothing is ever gonna go as planned. You can have your business plan and you can map things out as best you want, but like something's always gonna go wrong. It's always gonna be a harder sell or uh product just isn't gonna have the product market fit that you want. So you might have to pivot and It's really just like running through that loop exercise of like, okay, where are we at now? And going back to what I said before, like, might feel stuck, but like what's one little thing we can do to like get the snowball rolling and grow that snowball Um, post mission. I'm, you know, you've, you've had other folks on your podcast that have talked about this, but it's like the debrief Uh, the, the op might be a, three hour up and then you spend the better part of a day going through the debrief and and talk you know going through the transcript of the uh the radio communications and literally like walking out kind of what happened on uh on target and going through that you know whole exercise and Um, hopefully nothing goes wrong, but if it does, then you have to really figure out like why it went wrong and how you can fix it. So that way you get better in the future, which is pretty basic stuff. But, um, you spend a lot of time, a lot of time debriefing and everybody takes it really seriously. And for big, for big missions, like there's a lot of production that goes into, um, reenacting the scenario. So you, you learn from all those mistakes. Yeah,
1: what I'm picking up from you is just quality reflection, but that deep level of focus, like there's a heightened sense of importance around this, where what I've seen in a lot of companies is things like that is people are kind of, they're out in left field, they're just kind of going through the motions. Um, And and so I sense a a different level there. Something I'm intrigued by is now viewing a a lot of startups. What do you see as I'll just call them mental barriers to successful startups or people who are trying to be successful in, in the startup realm? that it's just very obvious to you with your past experience but you kind of see these mistakes again and again anything like that come to mind for you
0: yeah i would say that um, sometimes the lack of grit like people might be ha, might have an incredible idea and might be like great developers and and um, f- find like a really you know purposeful product to have out there but maybe lack the grit when it comes to building that company and, and scaling it and things aren't always going to go their way. And they have a hard time dealing with like, not everything just going really, really smooth. Um, I also think that, you know, people that want to create companies, like they are subject matter experts in whatever kind of company that they're going to create, but then as they get bigger and they have to hire more people, like maybe they aren't the best person to actually run that company and they are just the great developer or the great product mind that's always going to be, you know, iterating on whatever that product is. And they might have to like hand over the reins to somebody else who is better at managing people and like getting the most out of their employees. Um, So I think sometimes, you know, there might be a lack of humility in people and a, a failure to understand that like, Okay, maybe I'm not the best guy to be the face of this company and I have to just accept that fact and and hand it over to somebody else.
1: Both when you were running Seal Training and what you're doing now, how good are you at gauging someone's natural resilient point or their natural grit point? Is that even possible?
0: I think it's I think it's a um I think it's really different, right? Like a lot of times in SEAL training, there's physical stressors that are on the table. Um, in kind of the startup world, you don't really have that. So you, you have to pick up on different cues. I think it is the way that, um, people react to certain things where it's their ability to take feedback, like how receptive they are to taking feedback and how well they implement that. And, it's the other thing like i learned in the in the steel teams you should never have to uh have your boss come ask you for an update on something you should be the one to proactively provide that for them and that just builds uh trust competency um and character with your boss whereas like it, it can be said in the startup world too like if things aren't going well you should never be um having the vc or the investor or the board member coming to you for updates and asking like hey why isn't this going well it's just better to get out ahead of it and basically provide the update and just admit your fault right yeah the three c's competency
1: plus character equals credibility they're really hitting on that one uh, yeah. I, i'm wondering because what you've been able to do is just so remarkable the the adaptability the resilience are there things that you're still challenged by
0: Yeah, I mean, going from the SEALs into uh, a new career, it's the learning curve like in the SEAL teams. You really have to um, put in the time and effort and reps to get up to speed on what's going on so you can be a contributing member of the team. Um, You know, that will always be challenging for anything that you decide to pivot into. So I I would say that's been a challenge, um, you know, one that I always will be continuing to improve upon. Um, aside from other things, I, I I need to do a better job, I think, of like figuring out how I can use some of my skills I learned in the SEAL teams and um, stripping away some of that humility that I've built in the SEAL teams and really like letting other people hear about them. Because I think they are valuable things, uh, but sometimes I'm just like too quiet and and don't want to, you know, be that guy who's throwing out SEAL gouge to other people you know, what's really funny about that, Mike.
1: So this morning I was talking to Kelsey um, and I was kind of thinking like, oh, Mike's going to just kind of like downplay what he's done, what he, what he's achieved here. And I was like, I, I love that. I love that level of humility. And then I kind of paused and I was like, wait a second, between 650 and 2000, there might be two 650 to 2000 Navy SEALs on the planet out of close to 8 billion people who have the experience that you have. And I was just like, holy shit. Like, no, I'm not underselling this. You have a unique perspective. You have a unique skill set that is damn near impossible to obtain. And so I'm saying for you, like, yeah, like the humility is crucial, but like some of this stuff is really important and very impactful to people. So I'm even giving you like that extra little boost and push, like, yeah, man.
0: Yeah, let, I appreciate yeah,
1: it. Yeah, let some of that stuff be whole, heard. Obviously, you know just how like jazzed up I am to get to do this, right? Just like interview these people I'm fascinated by, I'm trying to learn from. If you could do this, sit down with anyone dead or alive, and you could just throw questions at, who would you love to talk with?
0: Man, that is a fantastic question. Um, I think one person I would love to sit down with, and it's kind of maybe lame and basic, but it's uh, George Washington. I mean, I'm fascinated by this guy. always have been um, obviously a military guy, but just the amount of courage that, that he showed over the course of his life and like standing up for what he believed in. And then also kind of goes back to what I was saying about getting to know your folks um, and just uh, figuring out that like you have a different job than they do. I mean, when he was at uh, Valley Forge, he slept outside in a tent with the rest of his guys that whole winter versus being in a, in a warm, comfortable house. Now I bet his tent, I've actually seen it. It's in uh, the museum in Philadelphia, but His tent was a little bit bigger than you know the rest of the soldiers but he was out there um which i think that those folks really respected and wanted to fight hard for him so definitely a guy i'd love to uh pick his brain on leadership and other things.
1: Yeah. That'd be a fascinating conversation, but Mike Burns, man, I I really can't thank you enough for your service, for what I've seen you do over the years for the, the man you've become. Uh, it's been remarkable that, that I've been in the passenger seat to be able to witness this. Uh, so I just can't thank you enough for coming on the show. Any place you want to direct the listeners, um, stay connected with you.
0: Yeah, I guess, um, you can find me on LinkedIn, Michael Burns, um and then if anybody out there wants to shoot me an email uh you can shoot it to my work email it's michael at canopy.com
1: awesome well mike thanks again yeah sean see ya you guys made it to the end of another episode of what got you there i hope you guys enjoyed it i really do appreciate you taking the time to listen all the way through